Good morning, Southridge. Great to see you guys here. My name is Mark, and uh, I'm a partner here at Southridge and also one of the elders here. And as Pastor Brent is away, uh, several of us are going to be bringing the messages over the summer. We've got a new series that we're starting today, and I hope you noticed that I borrowed one of Brent's shirts. I know you're missing him, and so I wanted uh, at least to have some of Brent's colors here. Um, The series is about verses that have changed our lives. And I think it couldn't be more appropriate than to have the Camp by Memory kids up here getting their awards for memorizing 100 verses or more in order for them to get a scholarship to go to camp. Those verses that they memorized will be verses that God uses in their lives forever. Uh, We we want them to have Jesus for life. And so those verses uh, are going to be used by God to change them, to work in them. Today I'm going to be speaking to you about Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Uh, This is a verse that marks a life-changing time in in the life of my wife Karen and me. Um, We were praying earlier in the prayer room that, that everything that happens today would be all about God. That this is really God's story. We're players in it, but God's the one who performs the miracles in our lives. And so as we prayed about that, we were reflecting on what happened to Karen when she went on a missions trip in 2010 to the Philippines, to a place called Hope on the Island. Southridge sent a team there, and and, you know, Hope for the Island is exactly that. It's a a ministry that was started by uh, Derek and Jen Van Rickingham, if I'm pronouncing that Dutch name right. Uh, And they lead a team there to serve local children and their families. In a, in a multitude of ways. There are a lot of pressures uh, in island life there um, in terms of clean water, uh, poverty. Um, there's a lot of alcoholism am- among dads there. There's a lot of drug abuse. There's disease. Um, and all the family challenges that go along with those things, that it's all there at Hope for the Island. But God's there too. And God works through what's happening there and he works in the lives of the people at Hope for the Island. And I want to start by reading a story about Kenneth. I received this story yesterday in my email. It's hot off the presses. Um, it's a story about how Ken's life was changed. And I, he's written it in his own broken English, and I'm going to read it exactly that, like that. I'm not going to try to fix it as I go. Listen for the adversity that Ken faced and the presence of God no matter where he went. And listen for how God opened up Ken's future to change his life. Two definitions you're going to need to understand. In the Philippines, ate means auntie. It's what you call a woman who is older than you. And kuya means uncle. Okay, these are terms of, uh, of respect. Kenneth says, I started working at Hope for the Island in 2008. I could say it's a blessing working with Kuya Derek and Ate Jen together with the other staff. They considered me as their family. I worked at Hope for the Island with no questions in my heart. I don't even think of money. I worked as the maintenance of the property of Hope and driving the staff to the ministry areas. Then my fourth year of working at Hope, something happened in my life. The enemy start causing me to be discouraged. I had a struggle. I had a family problem. Those things, Satan used them to put me down. I started being lazy in my work. I was just surviving at the time. All I think of is the money that I would receive each month. I lost my joy in serving God. 
And that's when Kuya decided to give me a break or a rest from my work. I left hope with a rebellious spirit full of pride. My heart at those times was totally locked. Doesn't want to listen to anyone. I decided to go to Siragao City looking for work. Then I have a friend in Siragao suggested to me to work in a music bar. Since I was looking for money, I agreed to work there. Months passed by, I realized I totally turned my eyes to the worldly works. I started smoking. I was using a drug called Shabu. That's crystal meth. And I got addicted to those things. Then came, I came to the point where I asked myself, why am I doing this? When I was doing it, I thought, I won't have a chance to change it. I was so guilty. I was so afraid to acknowledge God about these things because I was too proud. I was too proud to go back to the Bible. Praying was too hard. One night while working in a bar, I felt a deep sadness. I missed being in the presence of God. God reminded me how he takes care of me even at the lowest point of my life. That same night, I asked God, what do you want me to do, God? The whole night I had a feeling of emptiness inside of me and that night a group of customers came and ordered their alcohol. When I opened the freezers to get their drinks, one set of five bottles of beer slipped from my hands and it all fell, but not broken and all the lids are off. I asked myself, how did it happen? I still serve those customers and I went out and smoked, thinking what's happening in me right now, but I keep working that night. Same night, the next happens with someone's ordering a drink and while I hand them their drinks, I heard a voice said, instead of giving them my words, you are giving them poisons. When I arrived home, I cried so hard that night and I asked God to forgive me for everything I had been doing. I had wasted my time. And I asked God to give me another chance to serve him. I started praying and that instance, I decided to follow and to listen to God once again. I started not smoking anymore. Not, I stopped having drugs. Three months later after that, God had blessed me. God used Kuya Derek's life. He never gives up on me. He does have a father's heart. God used him for me to be reminded that God loves me. God used Hope for the Island to send me to Youth with a Mission in Antipolo, Manila for discipleship training. There I was discipled, corrected, and molded hard. It hurts so bad, but I submit to God because it was my heart's desire to follow God. And pain was part of my training, so I'd be more like my Father God. My first love for the Father was restored, and after training, God used me to spread his love to the people. Until now, I thank my God because he is using me now as a new person. Glory and honor belongs to God. That's an amazing story. Ken went through a tremendous adversity in his life, and it sounds like it was self-inflicted. But I'm going to say today that that doesn't matter. How we get into adversity is less important today than what God does in our adversity. We're not here to beat anybody up for being in the situations they're in. We all know how to get into those situations. We probably don't need to be told how to do that, but we are more interested in where we're going from here. What God did in Ken's adversity, how he had Ken's back, how he changed Ken's future is what today is about. My wife Karen knows Ken. She met him before he went to the city. In fact, Karen met Ken when she was facing adversity of her own, which we're going to hear about a little later. God showed them both that he will fight for them. Do you believe that? 
Do you believe that the Lord will fight for you? Our story begins in the time of the exodus from Egypt. And you may associate the exodus with Charlton Heston if you're old enough. And if you're young enough, the animated movie Prince of Egypt. Did I cover everybody? This is the story uh, of how God rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt after being there for 400 years in slavery. It happened in around 1440 BC. And on a fateful night, the, each Israelite family was told to paint blood on the doorposts that evening because that night God was going to send a death angel through Egypt as punishment for keeping Israel as slaves. And the death angel passed over all of the houses in which the doors were covered in the blood. That's where the Jewish celebration of Passover comes from. And that's also when Pharaoh, king of Egypt, after 400 years, finally let the people of Israel go. On their journey toward their new homeland, which is where Israel is today, God led them to a place where the Red Sea was directly in front of them. This is where we pick up the story of Israel. And I'm going to start reading in, in chapter 13, verse 21, and go to 1431. It will be on the screen, uh, and I will be skipping some verses because the passage is very long and our time is short. But I encourage you all to go home and read Exodus 13 and 14. In fact, read 12 as well. It's an amazing story. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hahiroth between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out into the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to move on. Then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on the right and on their left. The Israelites pursued them, the Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak, the sea went back into its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him 
and in Moses, his servant. This was Israel's Red Sea moment. God led them to a place in which they had no exit. The Egyptians were on their tails. The desert is on either side. Mountains, wilderness, hemming them in. And the Red Sea was ahead. A Red Sea moment is marked by great adversity in which we cannot see a way out. Red Sea moments can come from unwise decisions we make. They can come from circumstances which are beyond our control, like an illness. And sometimes they can come from fallout of someone else's issues. Our adversity can come from a variety of sources. What's common is that we all face adversity, don't we? This isn't something unique to the church or to Christians. Every single person with a bum in a chair here and every single person outside of this place faces adversity. We've either been through it, we're in it now, or we're about to face it. I don't even need my notes. I can tell you from in between services the kinds of adversity that I heard about. I heard about heroin addiction. I heard about people going through adversity and getting to the other side and wondering, what's God's purpose for that? Why did that happen? I know of people who at this very moment are called to go into ministry somewhere, but they can't sell their house. And now they question, are we even supposed to go? These things face us all the time. We see no way out. No way out of the conflict. No way out of my anxiety. No way out of my sickness or my addiction or the financial situation that I'm in. Israel learned that sometimes the only solution to adversity is a miracle. And from reading the story, we learn that Israel's Red Sea moment was no accident. It wasn't a wrong turn. It was God who led them to that place because he believed, he knew that they needed that Red Sea experience to learn some things from him. He was going to do a miracle and he was going to refine Israel. To refine means to, to improve, to hone, to fine tune. Adversity is often how we are refined, isn't it? I have a conviction that either our adversity will define us or God will refine us through our adversity. Either our adversity will define us or God will refine us through our adversity. In fact, sometimes it's both, isn't it? That was Kenneth's situation. His adversity defined him and then God came and got him and brought him back and refined him in the process. This is kind of like the picture of what Jesus did for us. In our, when we're defined by our disinterest and rejection of God, and then we accept what Jesus did and accept Jesus into our life, God makes us new. He does a miracle and he refines us. Have you considered that God could take your current situation, your predicament, your Red Sea moment, and make something miraculous happen? Do you think he can do something new today? It's hard sometimes, isn't it? It's hard to believe that he will fight for us. In fact, sometimes we don't believe it. Sometimes we don't even see that God is there anymore. The truth is, though, that God is always present even when we feel he is absent. Somehow, it's possible, though, for us to have God in front of us yet not even feel the comfort of his presence. Red Sea moments can make God feel like he's absent. 
The threat of the Egyptians behind them and the Red Sea in front of them made Israel discount the presence and the power of God. And their response to Moses and to God illustrates the point. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. They wanted to go back to their slavery. They wanted to go back to the last adversity that they had faced. And that's not God's plan for us. It's not God's purpose for us to go back to the things he has rescued us from. When we follow Jesus, we leave behind an empty way of life. And Jesus gives us a full and an abundant life. Unfortunately, oftentimes when we're confronted by adversity, we accept that nothing will ever change. We give in. We settle for less than God's best for us. That's kind of what Ken did. He said, I was so afraid to acknowledge God about all these things because I was too proud. He was stuck in the drugs and the hopelessness. He could no longer see God even though God was there. He had given up. Other people tried to take control, right? That's what Israel was doing. They didn't like their situation and so they grumbled to Moses about his leadership and they wanted to go back to, to Egypt. That was a little bold to say the least. They thought they knew better than God. And think about that. While they were speaking to Moses, there's a pillar of cloud and fire right in front of them to prove that God was there in power and majesty and still they had their rant. They had lost a sense of awe and respect for God in that moment. One of the things I've realized in my own life is that if I'm not humble and reverent in my relationship with God, I start to stifle his work within me. And as Israel stood before God with the audacity to ask to go back to Egypt after God had rescued them, they were doing the same thing, stifling God's work within them. Moses, though, under the inspiration of God, responded to the Israelites and said, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to move on. God was showing incredible patience and incredible mercy in response to Israel's outburst. Why? Because he was going to perform a miracle and he was interested in refining them. In Red Sea moments, we are to be still and also move forward. There's a clear tension between these ideas of being still and making moves. Which is it? Are we to be still and know that God is God and that he's in control? Or are we to take steps and make moves and do our best in every circumstance? I, I think this story tells us that it's not either or, it's both and. It's be still and move forward. Let's look at being still first. Being still means giving up control and taking hold of the peace of God. Giving up control and taking hold of the peace of God. In Chuck Swindoll's book on the life of Moses, he writes, maybe the reason you're, su you're under such pressure is to bring you to the end of yourself. Being still is about control and the heart. We prefer to control things, right? We prefer when we get into situations that are, are sticky or dicey or threatening that, that we can figure out how to get out of them ourselves through human effort. We become self-centered in our self-sufficiency and our culture rewards it. This story tells us not to do that. Being still says, don't go there. Don't make that your go-to. God wants to say, don't lean on your own understanding. Be still and know that I am God. You are not God. You're not in control. 
You're not able to do what I can do. We buck back against that sometimes. Be still and know that I am God. The concept of being still is also about the heart. Be still in your heart. Because when we can get that peace, that stillness in our heart, we're less likely to be governed by our circumstances. When we're relying on God as our refuge and our strength, when our hearts are still before him, we're way less likely to fear the world and our adversity. Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, is a great example of stillness of heart and surrender of control. As he went around the Mediterranean in the first century, he encountered more adversity than you and I will face in our entire lives. In his story, he shares that he was shipwrecked. He had stones thrown at him. Uh, he was hungry. He was thirsty. He was beaten. He was cold and tired and sometimes without clothes. All this in his service to God. Yet he still had the peace of God guarding his heart. He wrote in one of his letters, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He didn't say, I can do this. He said, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Through Jesus. His heart was guarded and peaceful because he knew that he was not in control. Being still is about giving up control and taking hold of the peace of God. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And then God told Israel to move forward. Moving forward is a step of faith into God's provision. Even though God is the one who, who provides the answer to our adversity, he also asks us to take action along with him, doesn't he? If we turn back a few pages to the story of the, of the Passover in Exodus chapter 12, we'll see that God's instruction for Israel was to eat the Passover meal with their cloaks tucked into their belts. Okay, isn't that interesting? Just imagine that I was wearing a cloak, a big toga, right? You know, robes. And if I wanted to run down the center aisle, um, it would be helpful if I pulled up the bottom and just tucked it in so I could have lots of free leg movement, right? That's how he asked them to eat the Passover meal. Why? God was the one who would provide the miracle, but God said, you have to be ready to move. You have a part to play in this. You've got to be ready in expectation. You might have heard about a time when Israel came to the city of Jericho and they were told by God to walk around the city walls of Jericho 13 times over seven days. And then on the seventh day, the city walls all fell down. Do you think the walking around the walls made the walls fall down? No, God made the walls fall down. But he includes his followers in steps of faith as he works in our lives. Following Jesus is not a spectator sport. We're challenged to take action in our walk of faith. And in order for us to not become arrogant and, and stick with that self-sufficiency, he makes sure that the miracle is something only he can do. His blessing is unmistakable as his work. One final example of the adversity that Israel faced when they had to take action was in facing a battle against the Midianites. In Judges chapter 7, we read that before Israel's leader, Gideon, was able to take them into battle, against the Midianites, God shortened the bench. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. 
God told Gideon to reduce the size of the army from 32,000 to 300 so that when God provided the victory, no one could take human credit. From 32,000, which was an even match, to 300, which is a miracle match because God makes sure that he gets the glory. God's provision is God's provision. His miracles are his miracles. And the steps of faith that we take show that we are trusting him. The step of faith shows God that we are surrendered to him. That you've reached the end of yourself and are willing to step out into God's provision. Is God giving you a step of faith to take, to take today in your Red Sea moment? Hi, my name is Karen Kinna. Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. This verse has totally changed my life. Back in uh, 2004, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia and that is a chronic pain disease which entails kind of feeling like you've been hit by a Mack truck every day. And it also um, has extreme fatigue um, with it and it also has Depression can follow by that, and I suffered from with all three of those. This had a great impact on my life as everything had to change. The, the normal that I knew had to change. I had to have a new normal. I could hardly go through a day without napping for hours. I had no interest in anything as the depression set, set in. I had no joy. And it was just minute by minute, just trying to cope. I think that God had a plan in all this. I, he allowed me to be ill so that he could totally refine our family. And I think if he didn't do that, then our family wouldn't be who we are today. And I'm thankful for who we are today. In 2010, um, I felt called to go on a missus trip to the Philippines um, that our church uh, was going on. And I was scared. I didn't know how I was going to do it. But I just knew that that's where God wanted me to be. The lady and her husband that ran the mission that we went to um, in the Philippines, Hope for the Island, Jen, I told her my story and what I was suffering with when I was there. And she knew of someone that was healed of this. And I was very skeptical because medical doctors tell you that there's no cure. So you just trudge along and cope as best as you can. And I was interested to hear what she had to say, um, but I wasn't too sure about it all. And through the day, she would always ask me how I was doing and she would always She'd ask me probing questions and sometimes I couldn't answer her questions, but one day she asked me, don't you think God has something better for you? He wants the best for us. And she said, I don't think this is what God wants for you. Be 
because it's not the best. So one day when we were, um, it was a Sunday after one of the services, they had a time of like, kind of like just meditating on God's word and they would always play music and through the music, you would just listen to the music and just everybody had a mat and you would just like sit on your mat. And that was when, that was the turning point because God spoke to me. And he said that you can do this and I have something better for you. You're going to get through this. When you go home, you're going to stop taking all your medication. And I was sobbing. At the end, Pam and Jen came over to me and I could hardly speak, but I told them that God had spoken to me. He said, no more medication. So when I went home, I told, I shared it with Mark and went to the doctor. And that was about a four and a half month process of weaning off this medication that I had been on. I've been on two different medications for many, many years. And the last week of weaning off that medication, was the hardest thing I ever had to do. I felt like I was constantly having a heart attack. The withdrawal was so bad. I said to Mark one day, I said, I don't know if I can do this. And from that day on, we had prayed and Mark gave me the verse of Exodus 14. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. And I made it through the rest of that week. And from the day that I took my last pill to this very day, which has been five years in August, I have been pain-free, fatigue-free, fatigue like that and I've also been um, free of all the, the depression the cloud the dark the dark days the dragon it was all gone because doctors had said it's not curable I just kind of laid down my life and thought well then this is the best it's gonna be but I was wrong. One of the things that Karen said was that doctors said it was not curable and I just kind of laid down my life and thought, I guess this is the best it's going to be. That was her new normal. And she was just going to accept it. It wasn't normal at all. Israel didn't like their new normal. They grumbled and fought back against God. Kenneth was lost in his new normal in the city. What concessions have we made in our lives to adjust to adversity? Jen from Hope for the Island has a question for all of us. Don't you think that God has something better for you? A Red Sea moment can be 
one of those times that God uses to refine us and draw us to him so that we can experience something better in our lives. And look at the outcome of God's miracles and his refining work in these lives. In Ken, he said, my first love for the, for the father was restored. He is using me now as a new person. In Israel, we read at the end of the story that because of what God did at the Red Sea, they put their trust in God for the future. And in Karen, she said, our family wouldn't be who we are today. Karen told me yesterday that God must have seen where our family was heading and said, that direction is not going to glorify me. Even before we get to a place where God knows that he won't be glorified, he can turn us in a different direction to a Red Sea moment. What's the refining that God is doing in your life? My life was unbalanced, both in work and in church. My life was out of whack, and God showed me through Karen's illness that I needed to be refined. I needed to change my availability for my family, and within two years of her illness, I was in a new job with dramatically less travel and reasonable working hours so that I could be more help at home. Our kids had to learn to do things they had never done before. God restructured my commitments to church and to work, and he used Karen's illness to get my attention. I want to speak to people who have been suffering from adversity for a long time. You feel like you've been in a Red Sea moment forever, and the sea is not opening up. I read this week that coming to the Red Sea is just as much a part of his plan as crossing it. Someone asked me recently to pray for God to take away his chronic pain or for God to take his life. That's what it had come to. He couldn't bear to live with his pain. And one of the things I realized while praying for him is that God's purpose isn't revealed in our timeline. It took over six years for Karen. It took 400 years for Israel. If you're a visitor here, if you're new to this church thing, and you thought we were going to tell you today that everything is always easy with God, the truth is that God leads us through the hard parts of our lives, but he doesn't always take them away. He goes with us. Sometimes he never takes them away. Sometimes the miracle isn't in our healing. Sometimes it's in us as God helps us deal with the adversity that we face in a way that glorifies him and refines us. When we are called to take steps of faith, though, we need to believe and move forward. Taking the step of faith that God has for you may be the hardest thing you've ever done. That's how Karen felt in the midst of her withdrawal from her medications. It was like having a heart attack every day. The road is hardly ever easy, yet God is there with us every step. In fact, one of the most comforting parts of the story of the Red Sea moment is that when Israel was told to move forward, God moved behind them. Did you notice that? When God said, you move forward, he and the pillar of cloud moved behind, in between them and their adversary that was chasing them. God has our backs. Maybe today you will realize that God's there with you in your adversity. Maybe in your Red Sea moment, you'll begin to see God's purpose for you. And maybe today is the day that God will show you the way out and part the seas in front of you. 
The stories of how we experience God in these moments allow us to turn outward and share them with our friends. Karen's now recognizing that God has a purpose for her to live out in serving and supporting other people who struggle with chronic conditions and mental illness. She wants to live God's purpose for her and help others experience God in our community. And that's our vision at Southridge, to turn outward and live God's purpose so our community will experience God. I'm going to pray, but before I do, I want to invite you, if you're going through a struggle, please don't leave today with that struggle. We're going to have prayer partners at the front of the church as the worship team leads us. We're going to have people at the sides to pray with you. And we want you to come forward for prayer so that you can share that adversity and be prayed for. Don't lay your life down and accept that this is the best it's going to be. Let's lay your adversity down before the Lord and see what he has planned. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Let's pray. God, we thank you today. We thank you for the stories that we know of you working in our lives. We thank you for the miracles. We thank you for the miracle of the Red Sea. We thank you and we give you praise for the miracle of Karen's healing. We know that it is all you, God. And today, as we face adversity in our lives, we know who to go to. If we haven't been able to see you, God, reveal yourself to us in the middle of our Red Sea moments right now, we pray, God, that you will refine us. And God, we pray for you to provide the miracle to rescue us and show us the way through. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.